Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all the other players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. We are going to delve into the world of genies this week, and we are going to be speaking more directly about the Jinn and the Ifrits and all of the, the fun havoc that they can wreak on your players. So... Before we jump into those and our Raw Real Monsters series continues, we have some five-star reviews for you this week. So Mitch, why don't you start us out? The first one comes from The Grinning Dwarf, and it is entitled, Great Resource for Working DMs. Five stars. I played a lot of AD&D back in the early 80s, then got away from the game for a long time. I'm getting back into it with 5e, and I have to say that DMs Mitch and Chris have a lot of great resource stuff here. They cover a lot of ground and give any DM, new or old, plenty of ideas and inspiration to get the creative juices flowing. I wish we'd had great resources like this back in the day. Keep up the awesome work. So thank you so much, Grinning Dwarf. We appreciate that so much. Yeah, thank you so much, Grinning Dwarf. Our next one comes from Homer the Kid. And so he writes, keep a notepad handy, five stars. I love this podcast great information and ideas i always listen with a notepad close by even when i'm driving which probably is not a safe <laughs> idea to do but we appreciate the hardcoreness that you have to your listening to podcasts uh but he, he he drives and has a notepad to jot down their ideas and my ideas inspired by their ideas anyway you get the idea so yeah definitely worth your time investment to listen to so thank you very much, Homer the Kid. Stay safe out there on the roads because we want you to keep coming back and listen to more. Yeah, thank you so much, Homer. And with that, let's head to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Carving up! Just a mouthful! No! The flight meat! Back on the menu, boys! So for this section of the meet, we are talking about monsters because this is our Raw Real Monster series. And today we are talking about genies, gin, and Efreets. And then we've got some homebrew creatures to talk about as well. But our Patreon dragons, they put it to a vote and they wanted us to talk about Jin and Efreets. So that's what we are going to do today. So first we need to talk a little bit about what are genies in general because both the Jin and the Efreets are part of this family of creatures that are known as the genies. So the Jinn and the Efreet both first appeared in the white box set of Dungeons and Dragons in 1974. So they go all the way back. And then, of course, they have been with us since then as a very popular creature in D&D. Which we are very glad for. Yes, I love, I love all kinds of genies. They are rare elemental creatures, and they are always a part of stories and legends to mortals. Although few of them live on the material plane. Their home plane is the elemental planes of fire, air, water, and earth, which the Jinn and the Efreet that we're talking today come from the planes of air and of fire. And one thing should be said about genies that you can really pick up from each and every single one of the types of genies is whatever plane, whatever elemental plane is directly across from them, so the opposite, they're going to hate the genies from that plane the most of all. I don't know if you noticed this, Chris, but while doing 
doing studying. I'm like, I don't think that any type of genie likes another type of genie. Like, yeah, they, they don't seem to get along with any of them. But when it comes to like the opposite ones, like we have the Efreets who are the fire ones, they absolutely hate the Marids, the water elemental genies. Yeah, they seem to be a little bit less hostile towards other ones. But yeah, yeah definitely the ones that are right across from them, they absolutely despise with everything in their being. Yep. So all genies are brilliant, powerful, and extremely proud creatures. They have this sense of entitlement, which leads to a lot of them having slaves, and their slaves are driven to the point of almost being worshippers of them. And part of that is because they have knowledge and power that is so great that it can be challenged by very few creatures creatures except by of course the gods and one thing that i love about the genies and i didn't really know this before we got started and before we had to do a little bit of studying for this episode but the way that they're made is not the way that we normally think of creatures being made like we assume that these things are magical by nature but we have other magical creatures that create other beings by breeding but that's not the case with these types of genies. They are creatures of the elements. And so what that means is it's a sentient soul that, for whatever reason, somehow got lost on the plane of fire or the plane of water or whichever plane they find themselves on. And they morph with some sort of elemental energy that's there. And from that, that lost, desperate soul trying to find rest is now transformed into whatever genie it finds itself on the plane of. And so what's interesting about this is they don't really remember anything from their past life. And I think back to Stephen, who <laughs> in a past story time was lost wandering in the elemental plane of water. When he dies and his soul is just there, like he could possibly become this terrible water genie like what we came and came across <laughs> right. and could do the same exact things as what happened to him which is a really interesting thought because it says they also retain one or two like key personality traits i just imagine this genie sitting in this hot tub in Otto somewhere with the voice of Stephen Creel <laughs> ordering people around. And I just oh, think that's gosh. absolutely terrifying. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's how genies are made. And it's the really interesting thing to not have ever thought about, but now be able to play out in the lore of my world and, and for your world as well. And so, you know, what's interesting about these creatures that are created from their souls bonding with the elemental powers of whatever plane they find themselves on is over time, it's almost as if the genies have formed some sort of hierarchy within them, but really no genie is ever ruled by another one, but they kind of just push each other around in a way. And what happens over time is these genies will trade these wishes for what they really, really want to get, and they just acquire more and more things. They acquire more and more power. And what ends up happening is these other genies will fear them, and in a way, they will almost revere them as the these ruler-ish type creatures. And they won't necessarily be ruled by them, but they'll be pushed around in such a way that every once in a while, the genies try to defy the other genies. And I just imagine this, like, sometimes could be really hilarious, but a really scary battle between genies happening because one genie has decided to defy the other in such a way that they are trying to gain more power themselves. One thing that I really find extremely interesting when it comes to the genies are the way that they handle worship and the way that they handle their knowledge because they know that gods are real. However, in 5th edition, we read 
you that they acknowledge that the gods are powerful entities, but they do not have any kind of desire to worship them themselves. Now, this has changed since other editions. In past editions, certain genies did worship certain gods, and there were genies that were actually clerics, and now we have the fact that genies do not worship gods. In fact, genies hate the fact that gods have mortals worship them. They find it to be extremely annoying. But the funny thing is that they themselves love it when their slaves worship them. So even some genie become to the point where they think that they are just as powerful as gods because of their worshipers, and they get very haughty about it and very pompous. And some will even want to take over an entire world or a country because they believe that they are the rightful ruler of that place. Yeah, and it would be really interesting to see what happens when they do take over the place. Maybe they do start to get more worshipers out of fear that way, and their power just keeps growing and growing and they become even more arrogant that's a really interesting trait that i hadn't ever really thought about for genies yeah and i I see genies as being very very powerful in my world i make genies a lot more powerful than their stat blocks in fifth edition or 3.5 determine that they are and it depends on the genie because even fifth edition and 3.5 and all these versions of DD, they all talk about nobility among genies and that the noble genies are the most powerful but to me i've never seen it as a pelor the god of the sun and a genie come up to do battle against each other i'm pretty sure i know who's gonna win (laughs) oh yeah yeah the the genie's not gonna stand not even a chance so along the spectrum of genies these genies have the potential to have really cool powers that if you want to add it into your world it could be some really cool lore that these creatures could have one of those being they could very easily disguise themselves. So some genies have the ability to veil themselves in illusion to pass as other similarly shaped creatures. So such genies can innately cast the disguise self spell at will, often with a longer duration than is normal for that spell. So you think it, you know, it lasts like 30 minutes. No, no, these things will last for way longer and they can do it at will. So if they need to change their shape in an instant, they're able to do it, not worrying about spell slots and things like that, that, you know, mere mortal creatures in the world have to worry about. So they're very deceptive when they come here on this world. We noted before that among genie kind, there are certain genies that are nobles among their people. And these nobles are usually the most powerful types of genies. So among those nobles, there are a few genies still that have this incredible power to grant wishes. And I mean, this is a thing that we are very familiar, if we're familiar with stories about genies, that we're familiar with this power to grant wishes. And so only a few genies actually have this power. And there are laws and rules to be had with these powers. Depending on their power, they may be able to grant one to three wishes. We all know the story of the genies. You always get three wishes. Well, not all genies are able to cast three wishes. Some only can cast one wish for the person who they're granting the wish to. Along those lines, once a genie has granted their wishes to a recipient, it takes a while before the genie can cast the spell wish again. Usually it's up to about a year. And then one of the most intriguing parts of this is that once a genie grants wishes 
or a wish to a recipient. Cosmic law dictates that that genie cannot grant wishes to that recipient ever again. And so if you are a mortal who has a genie in a bottle and you have used your wishes from that genie, you can't just hold on to that bottle. I mean, you can, and you can still enslave that genie and have him do your bidding as far as attacking and such, but you won't be able to have him cast wishes for you indefinitely after a year has passed after whatever cosmic law dictates that you are only allowed to be granted wish from the same genie once so better go find another genie i find it interesting too that like with these wishes depending on the creature's nature Mm -hmm. they could take the wording that you've used and totally pervert it into something different yeah (laughs) i think of the efreets in general like you say man like you can enslave me for the rest of my life but just save my sick wife who's at home don't let her die or if she's already dead hey bring her back to life type thing well you know him being evil natured he could totally bring them back as something evil natured and totally (laughs) distorted for his own pleasure just to watch you continue to suffer like it's just really interesting that you have to be very very specific with the way you word things when it comes to wishes because they granted it you just didn't specify how you wanted it granted so that's a really interesting thing to think about too yeah and we're going to talk about the specifics of today Jin and Efreets and you're going to see that there are huge differences between these two types of genie and there's one of these genies that if you come across with your PCs and they want to make a wish I think you'd be okay I think you'd be all right with one of these and then yep. the others which I think Chris has already stated it's the Efreets don't trust them like if you're a DM and you're DMing an Efreet you should be thinking of ways to turn that wish to your benefit and to twist people's words Yeah, using the disguise and the wish at the same time. Oh, that could mess some people up big time. (laughs) So let's first talk about who the djinn are, or otherwise known as the djinni. The djinn resemble extremely tall human men and women, well-muscled and physically fit. Their features are aristocratic and considered attractive by human standards. Their skin tone ranges from pale blue to a more common olive brown or dark tan. Their eyes are usually brown, but a rare few have blue eyes. These are believed to be marked by fate for great deeds, whether for good or ill, and they may also have increased powers of the evil eye. Jin garments are typically shimmering silk designed for comfort and to flaunt their muscular features. I like the way that 5th edition has depicted Jin a lot, and I feel like it has been heavily influenced by Robin Williams' genie in <laughs> the Aladdin series. In the Aladdin series, <laughs> Because, yeah. I mean, out of all the types of genie that there are, Robin Williams' genie is totally a Jin. There's it's no totally doubt in that my one, mind. yeah. As far as what type of monster a, a djinn is, they are a large elemental, like all types of genie, but they are specifically from the plane of air. They are fast flyers, moving, being able to move at a speed of 90 feet. They are immune to lightning and thunder damage. They have a very strong dark vision, up to 120 feet, and they are innate spellcasters. So at will, they are able to cast detect evil and good, detect magic, thunder wave, Three times a day, they're able to create food and water. And what I love is that they are able to specifically, instead of creating water, they can create wine instead of water, which is... Which I imagine most times (laughs) that's what they do. That is so, like, fitting of a gin. So no need to, like, store up a wine cellar when you just create wine. But I'm sure some still do. 
<laughs> they can cast the spell tongues and they can cast wind walk. So that's up to three times a day. And then once a day, they can conjure an elemental, but only the air elementals. They can cast creation, gaseous form, invisibility, major image, and then plane shift, which is an important part of how Jin can travel through the multiverse. They can also create a giant whirlwind that has a five foot radius and is 30 feet tall. And this whirlwind will suck in anybody who it passes through. And so anybody being sucked into this is basically immobilized. They're just swirling around in this whirlwind unless they break free with a appropriate strength check. So just imagine a djinn being in battle with you creating this whirlwind and it's just sucking up all of your PCs as it goes around and the djinn is running around and hitting them with his scimitar or whatever it is. Other important things to note about the Jinn are that they are usually along the alignment of chaotic good. These are the genies out of all of the genies that you would ever want to run into because Efreets, Deo, Marids are not pleasant creatures to run into. The Jinn are going to be the nicest things to run into, if any genie. But something that's interesting to note about the Jinn is that they are accepting of service to mortal creatures. They see it as a part of fate that they may have to be servants to mortals and those who are chosen for servitude. They accept it as part of their destiny. They do not want to be imprisoned in genie lamps or in bottles. That's something that they abhor is imprisonment and they abhor betrayal, but they will serve willingly mortal kind and they see it as part of their destiny. A mortal who desires the brief servitude of Jin can entreat it with fine gifts or even flattery to have it come alongside of it and be a servant of that mortal for a certain amount of time. Now, Jin also have servants. They have slaves, although the Jin out of all types of genies are going to be the most kind. They are much more along the lines of servants to the Jin than they are slaves, which we will find out is not the case when it comes to any of the other genies, but especially when it comes to the Efreets. Yeah, they are the complete opposite of how they how they treat their yes. <laughs> quote unquote slaves that come to them. Yeah. I don't even know if I don't even know if you could consider them slaves like they're worse than <laughs> slaves when it comes to Ifrit. Yeah, Jin treat their slaves, their servants very kindly and they protect them. It's a it's a much more friendly type of servitude than it is for the Ifrits. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about Jin, and I have an interesting quote that comes from the player's handbook that is from a Jin about the Ifrit. And so it <laughs> says, The armies of the Grand Sultan are bolstered by legions of devils, his palace warded by the spells of a thousand arch magi, his treasures guarded by red dragons and fire elementals. No one has plundered the Ifrit's fabled vaults and lived to tell the tale. By the grace of a thousand winds, you could be the first. And so it's this this quote by a djinn who is trying to entice adventurers into freeing her from a magic lamp inside the charcoal palace of the Ifrit's in the city of Brass. So it's really interesting, like, seeing the fact that, like, the djinn is trapped there and it's like, hey, you know what? If you let me go, I can get you out of here. You can wish to get out of here and you'll be the first to live to tell about what's inside the Ifrit's <laughs> lair. Because if you're caught by the Ifrit's, like we said, you are treated worse than slaves. So when we think about Ifrit's, like what we're trying to imagine is our head in our heads are these hulking genies from the elemental plane of fire. And the Ifrit's are master of flame and they are immune to fire and able to create it on a whim. 
And so they often have fine silk and they have robes that drape their magma red or coal black skin. And they decorate themselves in brass and gold torques, chains and rings, all glittering with jewels. And so it's like they're almost flaunting their wealth and their power. And so when an Ifrit flies, its lower body transforms into a column of smoke and embers. And so like we said with the djinn, they are large elemental creatures. But unlike the djinn, these ones are from the elemental plane of fire. So one really cool thing about the Ifrits, which makes sense, is that they are immune to fire damage of all kinds. So the classic wizard that wants to go in and just fireball everything is going to be way less effective in this situation than what he would normally be. They also have the ability to innately cast spells. And so at will, they can detect magic, which makes sense because they kind of want to lavishly decorate themselves. And so it makes sense that they can decorate themselves in magical items and at will are able to detect magic things that are around them. Three times a day, they can enlarge themselves or reduce themselves to smaller size or bigger size. They can cast tongues up to three times a day. And one time per day, they can, like the djinn, conjure an elemental, but this one is only fire. They can take gaseous form. They can turn invisible. They can cast major image they can also plane shift and they can create which also makes sense a wall of fire in front of them so like the jinn how they have the create whirlwind the ifrits have something called hurl flame which is like their equivalent cool move that they're able to do and they are able to hurl this big piece of flame at you and do tons and tons of crazy damage equaling out to 5d6 fire damage so that's pretty stinking powerful to have hurled at your face possibly twice in a round that would be absolutely scary to have thrown at you. Well, the djinn have their their whirlwind attack that is, for the most part, it is just about disabling their attackers. So it just spins them up into this tornado that's going around and they are immobilized while they're in this tornado. Where the Efreets, they can just throw these fireballs at you and they can constantly keep on doing it. It's just another attack that they can do. Yeah. Jin can't cast multiple whirlwinds. However, the Ephrites can continue to cast these flame attacks at their enemies. It almost goes to speak towards their nature in general. Like, Jin are more reluctant to mm-hmm. do evil things. Like, they, you know, one thing to note about them is they are on the good spectrum of the alignment scale. Whereas the Ephrites are completely evil, and it's like the Jin are simply trying to disable and move on from that moment. They're not trying to intentionally eliminate the other person like what the Ifrits are trying to do. Yeah, Ifrits, I imagine, have no problem killing. I imagine that if you are a slave to an Ifrit, that if you do something wrong, you're going to have a hurl flame thrown at you. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So some interesting things to note about the Ifrits, not that none of it before was interesting, but another thing to note is that they are these like spiteful slavers. And Ifrits, once again, in their evil nature, they see every other race around them as an enemy or potentially as somebody who could be their slave. And so they come into the material plane or really any plane in order to find more servants to take home with them. And another interesting thing, people don't get promoted in the Ifrit slave ranks by having like good work ethic and saying you know maybe the the more bricks i make the better you know they'll they'll treat me or the (laughs) the higher up in the ranks i'll go no it's 
by being the most cruel intentioned person you can be. That's how you move up in the ranks. So the worse you can treat the people around you, the higher you will go. And it's interesting to see that like, they also give whips and clubs to their overseers of the slaves that are in fact mortals to just give them that little bit more of an intimidation factor above the people that they are constantly cruel to. With Efreets, the way that they get their slaves is they are known as planar raiders. And so they will travel to different planes and they will scoop up slaves for themselves. Now, when coming to the material plane, they'll often seek out areas that are comfortable to them. So that would be like volcanic areas or desert regions, places where it's going to be the most hot and the most like their home of the elemental plane of fire. And so People that disappear in regions like of this, it's really common for their disappearances to be blamed on the Efreet, whether it is them or whether it isn't them, because they're just known for popping in and scooping up slaves from these places. So I guess if you if you want to be safe on the material plane from Efreets, your best <laughs> chance is to go live in the frozen tundras of that world because the Efreets won't be coming to scoop you up. <laughs> stay away from fire. Stay away from hot areas. Stay away from water. Stay away from... <laughs> extremely windy air. just don't ever leave your home and you'll be fine yes. in the world of <laughs> I mean, from from gin yeah, i'd rather be enslaved by a gin to be honest the efreets yeah. i feel like it would just be the most miserable life ever <laughs> yeah you just kind of hope that you die at that point in time <laughs> and who knows if you're a slave on there there might be a chance that you could come back as an efreet there you go oh that would be terrifying <laughs> So we have adventure and encounter ideas. We have three for the djinn and three for the Efreets to share with you today. And so let's start off like we did with the djinn and their description. Let's start off with their adventure and encounter ideas. So the first one I have comes from something that I have done a lot in my world is I have created a djinn who appears in different dungeons as this great lover of games, this great game master. And in my world, he's known as Bartimaeus. But you can create and please take this idea and use it in your world, but create a djinn that appears in different dungeons to different adventurers throughout different campaigns. Have them become well-known by the players, and whenever the players meet them, that they know that they want to play a game with the players, and depending on how good the players do, they're either going to be rewarded or they're going to have consequences to their actions. So one thing that I've done in the past is that I've had this djinn, Bartimaeus, he's had questions to ask to the players. And so the questions will sometimes have to do with the dungeon that they're in. If it's a temple, it'll be questions about the god whose temple it is. I've had the djinn ask riddles before to the adventurers. And if the adventurers answer correctly, they will be rewarded greatly. And if they answer wrong, they will have consequences for their actions. And there was another time that my PCs ran into Bartimaeus the Djinn, and he had a lesser deck of many things, because if you know anything about the deck of many things, I've never used it in an actual game because it's way too dangerous. It'll mess up your game immediately. <laughs> so I made a no. lesser deck of many things which, where it was like the players would pull a card, and if it was a card of a throne, they would get a level four follower that just appeared and followed them around and did their bidding, so like a squire. If they picked a card with a brain on it, they got a plus two to their intelligence. If they picked a card with a rotted brain, they got a minus two to intelligence. But for that, you would want to look up how a deck of many things works 
works because it worked by the same kind of rules. But you can have a djinn that just appears throughout your world and he always wants to play games with your players and see if the players are brave enough to say, yes, I will play this game with you. I will take the chance and have there be this cool reward for them if they walk away having won the game. But also let them know that if they fail this game, there's going to be some disaster effect that's going to happen as well. There's only a card in there that half utterly destroys your soul and you can't <laughs> can't be t- reincarnated after. Oh yeah, that. with the uh, deck of many things, the real one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. some crazy card. They just ruin the game. But the neutered version that you were talking about has one that only half destroys your soul. Not wholly destroys your soul. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> the adventure hook that I had, I entitled Token of a Wish. And so I imagine that, you know, this is something that I am just, you know, kind of created in a spur of the moment thing. Somebody in the past had come across a djinn and they couldn't think of a wish that they wanted fulfilled at the time. And so this person was given a token of a wish. And so for whatever reason, this person had it in their home or had it in their dungeon or wherever it was. And your party stumbles across it. They just don't think anything of it. Kind of looks rather mundane, kind of like a regular gold coin. And somebody touches it and disappears from the room that you're in and appears on this floating island somewhere in the sky in front of a djinn who is there waiting for you to make good on his offer of making a wish. And he takes a token from you and your player that's there, nobody else in the group knows, has the opportunity to make a wish and then is returned to where the group last was. I think that would be a really interesting opportunity to one, like have it timed. Like the person's like, come on, you know, you picked it back up. What's your wish? We got to keep moving with this and (laughs) see what they come up with on the spot would be really interesting. That is really cool. My uh, next one is called Free at Last. And it is you as the DM can give your players an adventure hook that there is a powerful djinn that has been imprisoned under the service of a powerful wizard. And so now it is up to your party to go and free this djinn from his imprisonment. Because once again, djinn don't mind servitude, but they absolutely hate being in prison. So now you have to go and fight this powerful wizard or steal it from him, whatever it is. And perhaps the reward at the end is that your party will, like Chris in your adventure hook, get a wish granted to them because of course these are genies so we have to have wishes being granted that's just a that's just a sweet part about (laughs) genies and if the players never get wishes granted from these genies they'll be upset yeah and so now we move on to the plot hooks or adventure hooks for the Ifrits. And my first one is entitled A Bottle of Eternal Flame from the City of Brass. And so you run into a merchant or your party runs into a merchant in a city who is looking to travel longer hours and push himself to the limits of how long he can travel for. He is hoping someone can go to the City of Brass, which you probably know is extremely dangerous, <laughs> to procure a bottle of the eternal flame that resides there. And it is said that it is so bright that if Manipulated enough, it could create a great spotlight for traveling through densely dark areas. And so what could happen is the players go and they do this. They return and the person simply rewards you handsomely as you come back with what they wanted. Or you could have the merchant secretly being paid by the Ifrit to seduce people into coming and being captured because of your great reward. And so people go through this portal or wherever it is to the elemental plane of fire and there waits a band of Ifrits or one simple Ifrit to enslave your whole group. And then you have to figure out how the heck to get out of there. But, you know, (laughs) that's for your players to figure out, (laughs) not me. (laughs) Nice. 
my idea came from another thing that I actually did in my world was I had a desert land in my world called Isinmar. And Chris, I think you're familiar with what happened in Isinmar. Yep, I was there for that. It was not something we were all super happy about. <laughs> in the land of Isinmar, the Efreets were traders and they had marketplaces within the cities of Isinmar. They were very, very, very much greedy and they dealt with mortals, but it was all to try and gain power and wealth. And eventually what happened was that they became the rulers of trade in these cities. And so through that, slavery became an acceptable thing and they became the rulers of the slave trade as well. And it put a very dark, dark look at this country and it made it so that anytime you had to buy goods or you had to do dealings in a marketplace, you were doing it with these efforts who controlled all trade throughout these cities. So it made a very interesting part of lore. And you could do that something like that in your world where the efforts, maybe they're not just coming to raid and they're not coming in as violent, but they're coming in as cunning creatures that want to take over in a brilliant, outsmarting manner and take over the trade in the city. Yeah, that was uh, that was very frightening for us to have to go up against because we had to make some really terrible decisions in order for us to gain their trust. Yeah, you guys were put into points where you had to make a deal with the efforts and nothing that you did. It was always going to be turned out to be a really bad deal for you. Yeah, and they were too strong of a potential ally to let slip through our mm-hmm. fingers. When the danger was so great that we had to resort to that is a was a very hard place to be for good characters going through that campaign. My next adventure hook for the Ifrit is entitled The Magical Scimitar. And so your players in your group stumble across a sword that is partially sticking out from the dune sand in the desert. You find a scimitar that, when touched, begins to glow a deep reddish color. Little does your party know, but it is a sword that belongs to an Ifrit who is looking for it. And so for whatever reason, the sword has ended up there. Your party stumbled across it. And so when the Ifrit finds them, because you know he inevitably will, one of two things can happen. If they fail to persuade him or fail to tell him in a way that he believes that they were trying to bring this back to him, he can possibly enslave them once again like the last adventure hook and have them there for all of eternity or figure out how they're supposed to get out of there. Or upon successfully persuading the Ifrit, his reward to you is simply allowing you to have your freedom. So players could try to push that even further, try to get some money, and then potentially have a whole nother handful of issues <laughs> on themselves. So that's my second and last adventure hook for the Efreets. So we hope that you have enjoyed our talk about Efreets and Jin. With that, let's move on to our homebrew creatures for you today. Chris, you have a homebrew creature for us. Let's hear about what homebrew monster you have brought to the table today. Yeah, my homebrew monster is called the Mindhawk, and so its description is, Flying high in the sky, the Mindhawk sees all. Many times these mysterious hawks are domesticated for governmental uses during times of hostility and war. They are gray-feathered, and their eyes are an opaque gray, giving them a very menacing look. So some interesting things about this creature is they look like very gray hawks with gray opaque eyes. There's not much more to them than that. They're not super strong. They're not super powerful. They can fly really fast. But the thing that's interesting about them is they are able to detect thoughts that are in people's heads. And they have the ability to communicate telepathically with 
the handlers that have brought them under their control. And so what's interesting is they can tell the difference between somebody who failed the detect thought, failed the check to not have their thoughts detected, and when somebody has taken a potential drug to block themselves from being from having their mind read. And so these things are used during times of uncertainty or times of war because what these governmental powers or just powerful people in general are trying to do is to find people who are treasonous within their ranks. And so they have these creatures that are flying high above the skies that can see down into the streets where these people are loitering around and they can cast this spell at will so they can cast it as many times as they want simply looking around trying to find the people that are thinking things against the government or thinking things against a very powerful person or maybe even it's a slave owner that has one of these things and he's just trying to keep control of the ranks that he has within his slave population. And so if for some reason you have taken a drug to block your thoughts from being read, this creature knows that you've done something like that because it can't even begin to read your thoughts. And so they will follow you and stalk you through the air and wait until they find your location and then return to their masters to tell them where you are hiding out. So if you see one of these things in the sky... One, you better not be thinking anything that's treacherous against the government or against its owner. And two, you better not go to the place that you are trying to hide out from this creature if you are taking some sort of drug to block it from reading your thoughts. And so I have a quote that I came up with for this creature for its bio and says, We all fear for our lives. Even the back alleys are no longer safe from the eyes in the sky. The powers above us know all because of their little pets. And it's from a man shortly before his arrest for having treasonous thoughts in his head. So that's the that's the creature that I had. Kind of short, sweet, to the point, but could be used for really, really cool adventure hooks in and of itself. <laughs> that's terrifying. Are you sure they, they are hawks and not eagles? Because all I could think of was Eagle Eye, the movie, which was an awful movie, but that's what yeah. it reminded me of. <laughs> How rare are these creatures? They're pretty rare. They're not just something that somebody could stumble upon in the forest, but it's somebody that has to know where they are and has to know how to catch them and train them in such a way that they can be manipulated to do their bidding. Hey, big Brother is watching. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> so it's kind of like the fantasy version of having cameras everywhere. <laughs> Very nice. I like that a lot, and I'm terrified because I'm sure that we are going to be encountering the Mine Hawks in a future campaign, if not this campaign. Yeah, you might. You might. Oh gosh, we're gonna we're gonna see them in this campaign, <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> Maybe. You never know. Oh great. Anyway, so the creature that I've brought to the table today is called the Black Forest Seeker. And they are huge aberrations. They are neutral evil. And so the Seekers are tall and terrible giants that live only in the Black Forest of Azan Kazad. This is my world, so take this and change it to wherever it is in your world, right next to the town of Dakmore. They appeared there in 1453 of the Heroic Age, the night after a stall had fallen from the sky into the Black Forest. The Seekers surrounded the town of Dakmore and had their people at their utter mercy. Women screamed and children cried as the tall, silent giants made an unmoving circle around their town. The tallest of the Seekers approached the center of town, put up his arms and all that surrounded him felt a presence in their heads 
Although there were no words communicated to them, they saw images and flashes of the Seeker's thoughts, and they knew what they must do. In order to peacefully live alongside the Seekers, the townspeople must sacrifice to them one person every week. The townspeople agreed, and the Seekers waited patiently for them to choose their first sacrifice. Once the first of many sacrifices were chosen, the Seekers picked them up and left until they returned the next week and the week after that, and the cycle continued. So these are tall, skinny, gray giants with glowing white eyes and long ears, and they came from somewhere in the stars, and they landed in this forest, and now they have this relationship with this town that each week they come for a member of the town. And so this town has actually resorted to trapping people along the road and capturing them so they don't have to sacrifice their own people. But they have this very, very dark relationship with them and they have no idea what these creatures, the Seekers, are doing with those that they take back into the woods with them. As far as powers that these creatures have. Uh, They are immune to certain conditions as charmed, frightened, and stunned. They have great dark vision, and they speak a language unknown to any mortal being, except they can telepathically communicate with mortals, and they use images and flashes of images to communicate with them what they want. They have a hive mind, so the Seekers are empathetically connected to each other. They can sense when another Seeker is in danger, or being harmed and will rush to its aid. So a lot of the times they travel alone through the woods, but if something encounters them and starts attacking them, they are not going to be alone for very long. Just like a dragon has a frightening presence, there's something about a seeker that lets off this stunning presence to it, and so that any creature that is within 120 feet of it and is aware of it, they must roll a wisdom save to either pass or they are stunned for one minute. And so this is the way that the Seekers can capture their prey. Along with that, when they make attacks, they use a two-claw attack, but they can also use a Mind Blast attack, which is similar to the Mind Flayer's Mind Blast, only it is less powerful, and it delivers it in a line attack rather than a cone attack. Once again, if they come across creatures that succeed against their stunning presence, they are able to stun them with their Mind Blast. So nobody knows exactly what these Black Forest Seekers are up to. I hope to one day be able to explore this in a campaign and have some of the players come across this town of Dakmore and possibly be captured. And Chris, you'll have to meta, you'll have to not meta game at that point. Well, I'll and have, know I'll have to on. metagame. <laughs> you'll have to meta game. <laughs> uh, but I'm sorry, I, did you say meta game? <laughs> I'm excited to use these seekers in a future campaign and see what the players do if they try to just escape the town, if they try to help the town, and try to go into this black forest and see if they can defeat these seekers and find out what they are up to. Yeah, I just I wonder if the people of this town start like kidnapping people from other towns in order to not have yeah. to sacrifice their own. Like it'd be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Well, that's that's exactly what it is. They set traps along the road to uh, capture these other people who are unsuspecting and give them to these seekers so that they don't have to give their own people. Blah. That doesn't sound <laughs> fun at all. No. Or or we're captured, and therefore we have to try and work our way exactly. out of the Black Seekers. Yeah, whatever. You know, <laughs> no big deal. 
Hopefully we're just at a high enough level. <laughs> and we have monster pages for these creatures that have stat blocks and descriptions and all of that stuff. And so we will be throwing those up on the Patreon-only member area of the forums and also on our Patreon page for those of you that aren't on the forums as well. So we hope that you have enjoyed this fourth episode of Raw Real Monsters and this discussion about Jin, Efreets, Mindhawks, and Black forest seekers once again if you want to get the monster stats for the mine hawks and the black forest seekers they will be up on our patreon page so go and check that out chris if they would like to get in touch with us shoot us an email about monsters that they have created or ways that they have used gin or Efreets, or any other kind of genie in their games, where can they reach us at? Yes, you can send us an email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. We love to read your emails, so please send them in. We will get back to you as quickly as we can and say, hey, that's a great idea, and possibly even expand on it to help you out a little bit. You can also, if you wouldn't mind, head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, and you will get a shout-out on a future episode. And you can also find us on various other podcasting apps for Android as well. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. Go there for updates about our show and for memes and Dungeons and Dragons stuff all around. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out is... Samuel Lewing. So thank you very much, Samuel, for your Silver Dragon level Patreon patronage. So if you see Samuel around the forums or around the Twitter sphere, thank him for his support. He is a feared Silver Dragon. Yes, thank you for your Patreon patronage. <laughs> well, with that, we are closing the shop down, and we are ending this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. Have a great night, everyone. And keep on dungeon mastering. Goodbye.